I'm Randy Rohde, and I'm fascinated with entrepreneurs and small business owners. Plus, I love baseball. Every show, I sit down with a small business owner, and we discuss their running the bases of entrepreneurship. We throw the ball around on strategy, management, execution, and innovation. Plus, a little fun baseball talk. Hey, thanks for joining us today. Settle in, grab your Cracker Jacks, and you know what they say. Play ball! And it's a great day for a ball game. Uh, Maybe a little snowy and cold, but we're still having fun. Hey, we've got something special for you today. If you're looking for a serial entrepreneur who doubles as a lawyer with a technical engineering degree who happens to specialize in helping startups protect their inventions and brands. Here's a bonus if you need him to know Mandarin. Well, today's guest is exactly the guy you need. Uh, Our guest is from the great state of Utah, a double major from BYU in electrical engineering in Mandarin. Uh, He went on to do a double graduate degree at Ohio's very own Case Western University, got his law degree and MBA. He went on to found several businesses on his own and also starting working on some larger uh, law firms, helping just a few small companies like Amazon, Ford, and Intel secure patents and trademarks uh, before heading out on his own and opening up his own law firm. And when he's not wearing his legal hat, he can be found running one of his three other businesses, preparing for his own podcast, or just out running. Literally, the guy runs about nine and a half miles a day out in the great outdoors of Utah. So that is uh, a lot of miles. Um, Everybody, welcome to the show, Devin Miller, founder and CEO, managing attorney at Miller IP Law. Devin, welcome to the show. Hey, well, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. And hey, that's a lot of uh, lot of things covered in my introduction. So it sounds like we'll have a great conversation. <laughs> You're wondering, who is that guy? Uh, hey, that's good. Um, well, listen, my research team really wants to know, do you really run nine and a half miles a day? I'll say yes with one caveat. So I run nine miles a day for Monday and Tuesday, and then I'll do Peloton for Wednesday and Thursday. Friday and Saturday, I'll run another nine and a half miles, and then Sunday, I take a day off. So if you were to say technically is it every day, no, because I take a couple breaks to do cycling, and I, I don't do anything on Sundays, but it's pretty close. Wow, that is uh, that is something. So why nine and a half? That, that half, like, do you have a specific route, and that's just kind of what it comes out to? Yep, that's exactly right. So I'll usually, you know, at least for me with running, if I have a route that I can say, hey, here's my goal, I'm going to make it to this spot. And then basically you make it to that spot and you have to run back because you don't have any other <laughs> way back. And so for me, it's, hey, I, I have the spot that I know if I, I or you know, selected it's that basically I run to a bridge. It's just a little bridge that goes over a creek and it happens to be about nine and a half miles. And so I just end there and it's at the end of a street and then I turn around and come back. Hey, nice, nice. Do you run marathons? 
You know, I do. I haven't. I, I keep intending to do another one. So I've done a few. I did a couple when I was in Ohio on the Air Force Base there. Uh-huh. I've done a couple in Utah. And then I keep saying I'm going to do another one. And then every year comes along and I get busy and then I never quite get to it. So I've done several and I, I definitely enjoy them. But uh, I'm looking to, to get or get another couple on the books here soon. Yeah, good, good, good for you. All right. Uh, so. Let's kind of talk before we kind of dig down. Actually, why don't you just tell us real quick, and we're going to ask a lot more questions in regards to your law firm, but why don't you give us a real quick rundown on uh, Miller IP Law, what it is that you guys do over there? Yeah, so Miller IP Law, for those who may or may not be familiar, IP stands for intellectual property. Um, so now, now people are saying, okay, that's great. Now what is intellectual property? So Intellectual property really kind of is an umbrella term that includes patents, includes trademarks, it includes copyrights. And so that's a lot of what we focus on. We also help uh, businesses with like business formation. So LLCs, S-Corps, C-Corps, we'll do some cease and desist letters, we'll do some NDAs or, um, or an IP assignment agreements and those type of things. So really what I would say is we tend to focus on helping startups and small businesses with their uh, to protect and grow their business. And so you usually services, if you need to protect and grow your business, that's what we tend to offer with the, with the focus on, on patents, trademarks and copyrights. Just really fascinating stuff. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all of the good stuff. Okay. Well, I've got a bunch of questions about that and, and I want to dig into kind of the differences and why somebody would need to, or want to uh, utilize that uh, service. But before we get into that, though, so you doubled majored in electrical engineering and Mandarin or Chinese, I guess. Uh, Okay, you have to walk us through that. Now you're practicing law. So, you know, wow, either you just love being a student or you probably like 80 percent of the other college students (laughs) had no idea what in the world they wanted to do. Yeah, it's it's probably neither of those, to be honest. So. you know, I backing up. So I started undergraduate and I was going into electrical engineering. So I did that for about a year, did some undergraduate work. And then I wanted or I decided I wanted to go serve a religious mission for my church. So I'm a okay. church member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Nickname is Mormon or LDS. Right. Um, so that's where I went or after that first year said, OK, I'd like to go serve a religious mission. And the way it works is you don't get to choose where you go. You just say, hey, I'd like to serve. They, you kind of give some vague indications. Do you want to learn a language or not? And I said, sure, I'm happy to learn a language. And so lo and behold, I got uh, got called to uh, Taiwan, which is also Mandarin speaking. Depending on who you ask, it's part of China or right. it's a separate country. <laughs> I go with a separate country, but it depends on which side of the aisle and which politician you ask. But is it, so I, that's where I picked up the Mandarin Chinese. So I'd always kind of had the focus of going on electrical engineering. But when I came back after or a couple of years in Taiwan, I said, hey, why don't I just add that on as a second major or, or second degree? I already know the language and it will be, you know, uh, it'd be worthwhile just to kind of continue to develop that. So that's where the Mandarin came in. Okay. Now I kind of got to the end. And so it wasn't that I was not that I was the most amazing student. I, I did fine, but it wasn't like I was, hey, I just love to study and love to learn. It was more of just, well, I you know, I, I, I have the things that I want to study and I want to do. And so it's kind of, okay, well, got to the end of the undergraduate and said, well, what do I want to do when I grow up? And I said, well, you know, I got an electrical engineering degree. 
I like engineering, but I don't want to be an engineer. So in other words, <laughs> typical engineer, you know, you're a, you start out as a very small cog in a big wheel. Right. You have to get 15, 20, 30 years of experience. You finally wait, work your way up and you might have a little bit of an impact or say on the business, or you might just say, continue being an engineer. I said, well, that doesn't really sound like what I want to do for my career. And so I was kind of coming out of undergraduate and said, what do I want to do with my life? And I kind of said, I love startups and small businesses. I think entrepreneurship sounds cool. But I also kind of think the legal aspect of intellectual property, patents and trademarks and working with startups and small businesses. And that sounds interesting as well. So as I was coming out of undergraduate and I said, well, I could do entrepreneurship. I could do law. And I said, well, rather than choose one or the other, I'm just going to go right down the middle and I'm going to do both. And so that's where I kind of started or down doing both the or MBA degree as well as the law degree. And I kind of followed that same mantra throughout my degree. So it really wasn't that I loved school. It really, I did know, you know, fairly had a fairly good idea, at least once I got towards the end of graduate or undergraduate, what I was going to do, but it was just kind of, I had multiple interests and I figured I didn't, I, why should I have to choose one or the other? I'm just going to choose all of them. Yeah. Good for you. All right. I, well, I love that approach. I love pursuing, um, uh, not necessarily degrees, even though I have more degrees and probably w- what I need. Uh, but um, I absolutely love the idea. Just, you know, I'm really interested in this. So I'm going to do them all and go pursue and do things. Yeah, because in reading through your bio and kind of in preparation with the notes of the show today, I thought, well, you know, electrical engineering is not necessarily the most thought of preparation for law school. So he must have <laughs> at some point had some other idea of what he was going to do. So, um, yeah, I mean, no, just a quick aside on that. Yeah? So what's interesting is it is, you know, most of the time when you're going to law school, you are thinking I'm going to take as easy as classes and not knocking any lawyers. I have plenty of lawyer friends, but a lot of them, they do pre-law or something of that nature, which is relatively easy to get a G- good GPA. And as compares or compared to some of the hard sciences, if you just look at the degrees and the, the general or GPAs. And so it is, it puts you at a disadvantage going into law school because you're going into a very hard or hard degree and major typically your GPA is lower and now you're having to compete with people that have high GPAs that are, you sit there and say, they just kind of had fun throughout school and I worked my butt off. And so that was kind of one thing. But the other interesting thing is to do a, uh, do be a patent attorney. In other words, to be Mm -hmm. in intellectual property and primarily patents, to be able to be eligible to sit for the patent bar. In other words, to be a patent attorney, you have to have a technical undergraduate. So you have Mm -hmm. to have engineering, physics, some math or some math degrees, but it has to be a hard science degree so while it's more difficult to get into law school, if you want to go into intellectual property, there's that barrier of entry to where you have to have that as an undergraduate. Ah, had no idea. Well, see, there you're teaching us stuff already today, Devin. That's good. Uh, I didn't know that, that you had to have that technical background in order for the uh, IP bar. Um, all right. So that, that helps, right? Do you still speak or study Mandarin? No, I... When on occasion, you know, the honest, I would love to do it more. You know, I think it'd be cool if I could figure out a way to really combine that with my, with my career path. And on occasion, I'll have it. There was actually, you know, more people that spoke Chinese when I went off to law school and were doing um, LLMs and different things with law degrees than I did when I was in uh, Utah. And so I had more of a chance to do it, um, you know, just as kind of conversational to do it when I was in Ohio than I was in Utah. Since then, I just haven't had as much of a chance. I 
I wish I could figure out a way to put that square peg in a round hole and, and, and incorporate it, but on occasion, but not as much as I'd like to. There you go. I know my daughter actually is, is pursuing somewhat of, now she's in eighth grade, but she's pursuing somewhat of a similar path you're doing, at least in thinking about law and Chinese. She's been taking Chinese, loves it, and it has in her mind, she's got to become an attorney and use her Chinese in some kind of use, practicing law. So I'm like, yeah, that's great. She loves Chinese anyway. So, uh, it's uh, a lot of fun for her. Um, all right, well, that's good. Then, you came to Cash Western. You've been, uh, obviously, as I said, uh, here in Ohio, understand our winners. Beautiful old campus. Uh, great place. Um, and, uh, yeah, so, I don't know. I was going to ask you if you kind of originally planned on both, but as you just kind of answered earlier, you kind of like, well, you just didn't didn't choose, or I should say you chose not to omit one or the other. Yeah, I mean, I think I, it was a conscious choice. I mean, when I was applying for law school and MBA school, I was looking for schools that were offered both programs that had good or decent programs in both and that um, would uh, match with their one. So I was thinking, you know, probably coming uh, out of undergraduate, I had to make that decision what I wanted to do. But by the time I was applying, I was saying, hey, I decided I'm not going to feel like I have to be boxed in and just do one or the other, which is kind of what it feels like with a lot of schooling and career paths and you go into school and they say pick right. a major and that's what you're going to do for the rest of your life and then i said well you know i want to do things with my life i want to be successful but i don't want to just have to pick one thing so it was kind of one of those that by or by the time i was making or going off to graduate school i'd, I'd pretty well made the decision right right uh so now let's flash forward to today so you have miller ip law um and uh, you're helping startups entrepreneurs per protect their inventions and brands. Um, I, I don't, walk me through maybe the differences between uh, why I would need a patent versus a trademark or copyright. I always get a little confused maybe on the trademark and copyright thing, but I, I, I may have that, but I'll let you, uh, counselor, kind of uh, steer us uh, on the right path there. Yeah, absolutely. So, if you're thinking about, first of all, you know, you ask what you need, uh, you know, what, why you might need it. And I would say, let's, you know, build that foundation of what they actually are, because you may or may not need them based on what you're doing. Um, but, you know, if you're to break it down, easiest, or easiest way for me to think about it is a patent goes towards an invention. You create something that has a functionality. It does something. It can be software, it can be hardware, it can be electrical, but it does something. That's really what a patent protects. A trademark is going more towards branding. So if you're to think of a brand, so name of a company, name of a business, a logo, a product name, a catchphrase, those type of things, anything that's associated with branding falls under trademarks. And then the last one is copyrights. And that one's kind of more on the creative side. So anything that's kind of really more creative in nature. So a book, a sculpture, a painting, a video, a television show, a, you know, any of those kind of things are going to be on the, under following their copyrights. So that's kind of as a level set as to what they are. Now to your question, you know, thinking about whether I need them or not, that one kind of more falls under, you know, I always counsel people, think about what is the core of your business? What is the reason or why is your business unique? What is the value of core value of your business? And then you start to say whether or not you need them. So as an example, if you're a local, you know, mom and pop shop and nothing against mom and pop shops, I love them. 
but you know, you're discerning the local communities, few blocks around you. You're not really creating, you know, great new or breakthrough inventions. You don't really care as much about a brand in the sense people around the local area know that you, but they don't, you know, you don't need to have a nationwide brand. You're not really doing anything creative. You're just throwing in a great restaurant that people come and enjoy or something of that nature. I wouldn't worry about it or any of the intellectual property. That's not the core of your business. You're just are serving the local community and doing a great job at it. Can I, on the let, other can hand, I, you're, let me ask you a question in here. So you're saying sure. about the intellectual property uh, and kind of in your example. So maybe I'm a restaurant or something like that. Do, sure. do you uh, classify a trademark as intellectual property or is it, uh, or is it no, yeah. it's not. So intellectual property, umbrella term, it includes patents, trademarks, and copyrights. So if you okay. ever hear so anybody it, so talking about intellectual property, it. it could be any of the above. It's just an umbrella term talking about. And if you think about it, the reason why it's an umbrella term is all three of those are kind of things that aren't physical or tangible. In other words, a brand, you don't, you can't go grab a brand and say it's something that has value, but it's kind of more intangible. Same thing with a patent. You can create a great invention, but, you know, to how do you, you know, other than the actual device you make, but all the time, money and effort, research and development, that's not really tangible. A lot of the same, the creative kind of how you capture that creativity. So really intellectual property is saying it's property, but it's more in, or intangible, more intellectual. And so that's why all three of them fall under that umbrella. Got it. Got it. All right. Um, that's interesting. Do you think that, well, I should maybe... So as you were kind of talking about depending on, but would it benefit almost any brand to have their trademark? So I would say it would benefit I, most of the time. As I said, the mom and pop shop, they have a brand. I mean, they're local, you know, just, you know, diners and those type of things that, you know, the name of the restaurant is, it has a local brand. And yet really, if they're saying, I'm not going to, I'm just going to serve the local community. I don't have aspirations to franchise. I'm not going to grow. I just want to run a, a fun, this local place. Then they're really, you, you don't need to protect your brand from a trademark. Now you still want to have a good reputation and have your branding for the local community. But as far as a trademark, I wouldn't recommend it. On the opposite side, let's say you want to be the next McDonald's, you want to be the next Wendy's, you want to be the next, you know, pick your favorite restaurant that's a bigger chain. And then in that sense, yeah, you're going to want to have that as a, a, a trademark and protect your brand because that's a lot of the value. I mean, when you think of McDonald's, you hear the name that has an association. Now, whether or not you like McDonald's food or burgers or whatnot, that's a different discussion. But, you know, they certainly have a brand that people know what they sell and what they provide. Same thing with Wendy, same thing with any other place. And so if you're looking to build a bigger brand, you're looking to have multiple locations, you're looking to franchise, you're looking to expand, you're going to be in multiple states, whatever business you're in, then you're going to say, we're building something that's bigger than a local mom and pop shop. Then you're going to want to protect that brand because you're going to, it takes a lot of time and effort to build that or build that brand. You have to do marketing, you have to do sales, you have to do online SEO, you have to do paid advertising, you have to do, you know, whatever trade shows, conferences, whatever it might be. That's a lot of work to build that reputation. And what you don't want to do is someone to come along and say, oh, that's a great brand. Thank you for building it. Now I'm going to copy it and I'm going to ride your coattails. You want to be able to make sure you have a place where you can protect it. So um, a, a couple of different questions and kind of around that. I don't know why I'm stuck on the trademark thing. I think it's a little fascinating. Uh, um, so if we were to trademark our brand, would I then 
always have to have the little superscript TM, you know, 38 digital market TM, you know, next to it in order to, I, I, I don't know, to essentially make it official that it's a trademarked brand. So to answer to one question you asked when you didn't answer, the both of them are no. So okay. one <laughs> thing to set, is, or set straight is the TM is if you haven't actually registered a trademark. TM is just saying, hey, I think this is trademarkable. I assert some common law rights, some very limited rights, huh. but I haven't actually done anything to trademark it myself. So that's what the TM is. It's kind of Got saying, it. I okay. think I have some right. When does, you it see really the protect, R, does it oh, really protect you if you just do the TM? I mean, if somebody else came along and I've been doing for the last, I don't know, 18 months, I've been doing 38 digital market TM, boom. And then all of a sudden somebody comes along in Iowa and they start doing 38 digital market TM and, or, you know, or they say, Hey, we're just going to claim that brand. We're going to go trademark that brand. Now, can what what recourse do I have? So yeah, there's like 20 questions in there. So I'll try and dive into them as many as I can. <laughs> um, you know, does it does it offer protection? Well, yes, to a degree, but not very much. So mm. really what I worry about it, putting the TM or the little R, no. Now the reason why you see it or the reason why you put it is it gives people notice. So now they can say, hey, let's say you were the first one and they came along and saw your brand. They can't say, well, I didn't know that you thought that was trademarkable, or I didn't know that you thought that was part of your brand because you're at least putting the TM or the R, and if the R means it's a registered trademark, you have gone through the process. That's why you see the R versus okay. the, the TM. Um, but either way, it kind of provides that notice. Hey, I have a brand, I have a reputation that I built, and I put in a lot of time, money, and effort to build this. If you infringe this, you should know that I, I believe this is my brand and I'm going to go and enforce it. Kind of get conveys that now. Got it. It gives it the only time that really plays in if you go sue someone and you're trying to get damages, it can in, increase or decrease if they don't, if they are have noticed, they can, um, you can get a bit more damages or a bit more compensation, but it doesn't give you more like, Hey, if I go stick a TM next to something or I stick an R, you know, it doesn't necessarily give you more legal rights. It doesn't mean your brand is more or less weaker or stronger. Okay. All right. Um, now, oh, go ahead. Uh, so then if somebody is using that TM, just in the way that you've kind of described it, uh, or the R, uh, meaning the registered trademark then, um, do they have to use it all the time, anytime that the name or of the brand is mentioned? So um, it might possibly be on the logo, say maybe on their website. Um but in an article, maybe, where it says, uh, I don't know, we might be writing an article about um, uh, Google My Business profiles and how to optimize it and blah, blah, blah. And 38 Digital Market says this, blah, blah, blah. And it's just within the context of an article. Do I have always have to always put either the TM or the R or is it like... No, only on the brand, on the logo, do you really have to worry about it? Everywhere else, you know, it's kind of like it's a pain and kind of difficult to do a lot of times. Yeah, I mean, there is there is no requirement that you have to put it in. So if I were saying, hey, I don't want to put it anywhere, then I wouldn't. Now, I usually would take some sort of a, a balanced approach. No, I if I'm I don't think you need to go and put it on every piece of marketing material every time you ever use your logo or use the name of the company. That's probably a bit overkill. Where I would do it is if it was if there are places that are viewable to so 
on your website. You know, you can everywhere come, everybody comes to your website. It's a key identifier of your brand. Then I might put it there just to give an indication, hey, this is trademark. And you might put it on some of your most valuable material. Let, you know, put an R there if you have it registered. But as far as the day-to-day and all, every material, no, I wouldn't worry about it. I put it on the things that are the, are the are most viewable to the public or most folks pull to the public for your brand. And then the rest of it, I probably generally wouldn't worry about. Now that's a general, that's a general answer. So everybody don't take that as gospel depends on your situation, but that's how I would typically approach it. All right. That's interesting. So now if I wanted to go through the process, I think you were talking about, you know, the, the uh, lengthy process, obviously of building your brand and the effort and time and money involved in that. How difficult is it to get a trademark, to do a registered trademark? Yeah, that one, it depends on how good of or how good of a trademark you're trying to register. In other words, the way that trademarks generally work is there's a couple, there's a few standards, but there's two primary standards for trademarks. One, and the main one is whether or not it's confusingly similar with what's already out there. In other words, now what does that mean? That means if you wanted to go start a smartphone company, and you wanted to name the company, or if you wanted to have a company with the spelling A-P-P-L-L-E-E, do you think that people might confuse that with the, the smartphone company that makes iPhones that's named Apple? Well, probably because, yes, it's a different spelling, but it's very confusingly similar. People are going to look at that, think that you have some association, some tie with Apple, with right. their iPhones. And so when you're whether or not you're going to go through the process easy or not is, are you trying to go get the weird spelling of Apple and do it for smartphones? You're going to have a very hard time or to something that's unique and that's different. There really it isn't out there. At least it, nobody's using it for your kind of products or your services. Then you have a better time. So it's kind of that balance of, are you trying to get a trademark for something that's already out there that would cause confusion in the marketplace? Or you have something that you just with unique with your brand that hasn't been out there. So that's kind of your main standard. The one other standard that you typically look at is when you're looking for trademarks is also, is it merely descriptive? In other words, are if you were to go and you are to start a, a fruit stand and you're going to sell the world's best apples, and now you want to name your fruit stand Apple, well, are people really going to think that's your brand or are they just going to think that that's the fruit that you're selling? They're really not going to think that's part of your brand. They're just thinking that's the fruit you're selling. And so merely descriptive is if, if your trademark is really just kind of describing what your product is, describing what your services are, really doesn't have anything to identify your brand, then you're going to have a difficult time. So if you meet those two standards, you're not too, or confusingly or confusing with what's already out there and you're not merely descriptive, then you're going to have a much better uh, path forward. If on the other hand, you try and go get Apple and you do a smartphone, you're going to have a very hard time. Is it a lengthy process? So I have, I'm imagining there's several forms or maybe one form, but I'm sure there's something, you know, we have to do and provide for consideration once it goes to whatever office, I don't know, does it go to the patent office? I don't know where it goes um, from that, but does it, is it like a month, uh, 18 months? What's a, what's that process? Hey, if I could get them in a month, that would be awesome. No, I mean, so if you're to say a trademark, generally to get through the full process, so go to an attorney, go through the process, get the information, um, get the application prepared, reviewed, drafted. So once you, that usually takes on average for a given firm anywhere from us, we're usually about one to two weeks. Other firms are about three to four weeks. So I plan somewhere, depending on the firm, anywhere from a couple of weeks to about a month. 
um, to go through that preparation process. And then once you file it, you're usually looking somewhere between seven to nine months to go through the process. Wow. Depends on how unique you are, how trademarkable yeah. it is. If you you can go longer, if you're having to argue and fight and battle a lot more back and forth with the trademark office. If it's pretty unique and you know different than what's out there, it can go smell sales or a lot more smoothly through, and you might be five or six months. But I'd plan on seven to nine months as kind of a, a general time frame. Okay, all right. So it is a bit of a process. So let's talk uh, quick about patents. So uh, which I think is very interesting as well. That I know can be um, well. From what I know of patents, there's different types of patents as well as the process can be quite lengthy as well, depending upon uh, the type of patent that you're filing for. I don't know. Walk us through in general terms, patents and uh, how could, how could you, if I had just something that was incredible that I thought I need to own this and control this, walk me through what that process would be. Yeah. And I would say the first thing is to whether or not you can get a patent, kind of like what I walked through with trademarks is what are the standards for whether or not you can actually patent something. So there are basically a, a couple primary standards that you're going to be looking at as to whether or not something is patentable. So let's, cause you know, what I, a lot of times I'll have people come and say, I got this great idea. It's a wonderful invention. It's going to change the world and make millions of dollars. And I say, well, that's great, but let's, let's see if it actually meet those standards of patentability as to whether or not, you should be having us do some work or just go out and, and build it or build in the marketplace and, and don't worry about a patent. So standards for a patent. So the first one is called novelty. The second one's called obviousness. So novelty basically means has anybody else previously already created this? Have they already invented it? If it's already been invented, guess what? You can't get a patent on something that's already been invented. Somebody else already invented it. You weren't the first one to invent it. So that's kind of that first standard. The second standard is saying, okay, they're going to say, okay, well, not one person has invented it, but if you were to go out in the marketplace and you were to combine, you know, a couple of things that are already readily out in the marketplace, all you're doing is really putting them together in an obvious way. You're not adding anything new or different or unique. You're just putting a couple of things together that are already out there. Again, you can't get a patent on that. So that's kind of the standards for whether something is patentable. Has anybody else previously invented it? If nobody else has previously invented it, check. You can you meet that standard. If it's an, is it an obvious combination of what's already out there, or is it something unique that is different than what's out there? If it's an obvious combination, you fail. If it's something that you can combine things, but if it's a non-obvious, you have to put something in unique and inventive in there, then check. So with that, now if you're saying, okay, I I think I meet those generally meet those standards. I'm you know I'm novel. I'm not obvious, and I you know I I'd like to move forward. Then the process usually it's about kind of like I said with the trademarks, you're at about four to five weeks to get a patent application prepared. So it does take some time. Attorney has to go make drawings and have to make or get some drawings. They have to write up all of your description. And usually you're going to say, man, this is like, I thought this would be a page or two. I could write this up and attorney will go turn this into 20 or 30 pages. Well, that's because you want to make sure you cover all the details and all the depth and every possible way they're doing it. So you get as much coverage. Then you go through and you file it. Then you get the joy of waiting on the government for about 12 to 18 months where it just sits there, works its way to the top of the queue because they're slow at or all they're slow at most things, including examining patents. So it takes about 12 to 18 months. You get to the top of the queue, then they go through and examine every or examine your patent for those two standards, novelty, obviousness. And then you either go through and they say, Yep, it's patentable, or they say, Nope, not patentable. And then you get to argue with them. And you either argue and convince them, or you argue and you say, Okay. We haven't convinced them. We'll move on and do something else. So that's kind of a very quick run through of the of the patent process and what you're looking at. Oh my gosh, that's why you need to have an attorney help you. Uh, 
Now, for my, and maybe I might be wrong about this, but do they have, I don't know how to describe it, but maybe like a, uh, a pre, uh, we'll call it that, or, or a notice maybe that, or intent, maybe that's the word I want to use, intent mm. to file a patent or an intent to file a trademark that I could register, even though I don't have all of this other stuff pulled together yet. Um, but I, I'm like, I'm intending to file a patent on this thing. Kind of. Um, so two different reviews. So I'll start on the patent just because that's where we left off. So the process I just walked you through is to go through the full examination process. Now, what you get with it, a lot of companies are saying, well, we're, we're doing a lot of research development. We think this is a cool idea. We'd like to have it protected. But we're also not in the marketplace. We don't know how well it's going to sell. We don't know how whether or not it's worthwhile investing in it. So do we really want to go and invest all this money and go through the full patent process when we don't even know the business is going to be successful? And so with that, what the patent office basically uh, provides is what's called a provisional patent application. Provisional. So that's it is. It's provisional. <laughs> and the reason is it's kind of what it does is it's a little it's less expensive. Um, it's uh, informal. So your drawings don't have to be as formal. Some of the description doesn't have to be as formal, but what it does is it gets the details of your invention and it gives you a year to decide whether or not you want to go for the full patent application. So if you want to do what's called a provisional, it gives you one year from the time you file it to say, Hey, I'm going to go test down the marketplace. I'm going to see if people are going to buy this, if they like it, is my company going to fail? Is it going to be a raving success? And, you know, at the end of that year, I can decide, Hey, I want to go for that full patent application. Or, hey, it's not worth it. It didn't work out and I'll just let it go abandoned. So that's on the patent side, provisional application. Got it. Trademark. Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to ask you about trademarks. Do they have something similar to that? So trademarks, kind of, not as not as, as readily. So when you, it's basically the exact same process for a trademark. The only difference is when you file a trademark application, you basically get, in, you know, or an attorney would, would recommend, but you check a box, so to speak, and slightly more complicated than that. But you check a box and say, hey, I'm currently using this in the marketplace. In other words, I'm already out there. I'm already selling things with this brand. I'm already uh, doing things in commerce. I already have a website. I already have a storefront or however you're selling your products or providing your services. That's use in commerce. When you file it, you say, yep, I'm already using it. Alternatively, when you file it, same process, same cost, everything else. But you can also say, nope, I'm not using it yet, but I'm working on getting ready to use it. So I'm going to do what's called per, or intend to use. It means I intend to use it. And so then you file it. You still get the go through the same process. You still set aside, you get your data of when you file for the trademark. So you're setting aside that priority. And then you go through the process. And then at the end of it, they basically say, okay, assuming you get, they say it's trademarkable, then they say, okay, now we're at the end of it. Are you using it yet? You can say, yep, I started using it. And here's the evidence I started using it. Or say, well, I'm not quite using it yet, but I still intend to use it. And then you can file for six month extensions for up to a couple more years as you're preparing to use it. So whereas a patent application, you can do a less expensive kind of one year placeholder. Mm. It's kind of that's on the front end on the trademark. It's more on the back end where you have to do all the same process up front. But then you can file extensions until you start to use it. Got it. Wow. You know, I love how you, you're just like my attorney, you know, it's hard to like nail him down, you know, exactly because he doesn't want to be, you know, held to the exact phrase. There's a lot, well, kind of, yeah, <laughs> that's a good attorney. There we go. Um, so let me ask you on, if I have a patent on something, do I have to always 
tweak the patent or update it, I guess, maybe as if, as I would potentially update my product? Um, or do you go through a whole nother filing process? So you're, if I, let me reiterate the scenario. You're saying, okay, I've got, came up with this great idea, earth changing idea, filed my original patent. And I have and a patent. As a, I'm good. Right. But now so, I do something different a little bit with my product. I update it. I, I don't know. I do something. I, maybe I add something to it again. Uh, do I just file an amendment to my patent or do I go and I'd like to do a whole new patent? I guess maybe uh, I'll let you answer, but I think I probably was <laughs> rattling it off in my mind already. No. And I think it's a, it's a fair question because, you know, a lot of times you don't, once you create a great invention, you don't stop innovating on it. You know, right. you're going to look at the iPhone. I don't know. Is it 13 now? I think mm-hmm. it's 13. Um, I'm actually an Android guy. So yeah, my wife's too. the iPhone yeah. person, um, but you know, you have the iPhone 13. It's different than the iPhone one. Like the very first iPhone to come out versus what's now, Screen's different, got more cameras, got more sensors, more battery life, you know, the list goes on and on, better internet, you know, faster and everything else. Well, those are all iterations that came along after the original iPhone. And so, you know, did uh, Apple simply stop getting patents? They said, yep, we got the patent on the original one. We don't care about all those, or all that R&D and time, money and development and, and researching all those new innovations. Well, yeah, of course not. They're going to want to protect it. So then the question becomes, there's a couple different strategies. If you're doing kind of a, small update or iteration in the patent application hasn't been issued yet. In other words, the original patent you still filed is still going through the process. Then there are some avenues that you can add in additional information. The only thing, the caveat is anytime you add a new information, you start to get two different dates of invention. In other words, you're saying, Hey, for all that original information, you file it on this date. That's when you invented that for all this later information you just added, you get to add that. So, you know, you get these kind of dual or dual dates of inventions as you add the information along. The other alternative is, as you say, you know, let's say your patent issued. So you file it, go through the process. Two years later, you have your Eureka moment. Here's my generation two for the product that's going to be twice as good. Then you're going to file a new patent application. Okay. So generally, if within a given window, you can sometimes add a bit to the patent. There's some avenues there. Most of the time, you're going to just be filing additional patents to build on that or that portfolio or that family of patents. All right. All right. Oh, all the more reason as you just walk through all of that, why, if you're considering, you should probably consult an attorney. If somebody wanted to get a hold of you, Devin, how would they do it? Yeah. So if I'll give them, I'll give you three different ways that people want to get a hold of me. So if they want to do so we offer a one-on-one strategy meeting, because as you can tell by listening to this podcast, if you haven't already fallen asleep or tuned out yet, which hopefully you haven't, (laughs) you know, it's, it can get complicated and it does vary by each business. And so it's hard to give a generic answer that fits every business. So rather than do that, we do a one-on-one strategy meeting where we sit down, we talk through what you have going on, strategize whether or not you need a patent or trademark. If you do, or if you don't, we'll give you an honest answer and we'll talk through that. So if they want to grab a one-on-one meeting, they can go to strategymeeting.com. They can link right to my calendar, grab some time with me to chat. A um, couple other ways. If they just want to go to our website, they want to find out. We've got a ton of material. We have a podcast. We have videos. We have blogs. We have audio. We have just about every way that you can learn or consume or content. We have it there. Um, they can go to lawwithmiller.com. That goes right to our, our main website. And uh, you can check out our prices, our fees, our content, and everything else. The last one that I'll give is I'm 
I don't get on a lot of socials, but I do like LinkedIn. I think that's a great, very good platform for businesses. So if they want to check me out on LinkedIn, they can go to meetmiller.com and that links right to my LinkedIn profile. So one-on-one strategy meeting, go to strategymeeting.com for our main website, go to lawwithmiller.com. They want to connect with me on LinkedIn, go to meetmiller.com. There we go. All right. All kinds of great ways to uh, uh, tap into your knowledge and expertise. All right. Do you like baseball, Devin? I'd like to. I've never been a big player of baseball, but I like to go to the stadium, get some popcorn or Cracker Jacks. There I like you go. to get the food and I like to watch the innings and then I do it. So unfortunately, we don't have a professional team here in Utah. So I only get to watch the minor league most of the time, but I do enjoy or, or watching baseball and occasionally hitting the ball. All right. I love it. Well, it's that time. And it's time for the seventh inning stretch. It is time for what we call the seventh inning stretch, Devin. And, uh, you know, this is the, the fun part where we've gone through a little bit of research, try to think about your particular niche and, you know, try to pull something out of the hat here that might, uh, uh, I don't know, test your knowledge a little bit about baseball and about your expertise. Um, here's a real uh, a throw out question. So in the MLB, Major League Baseball, you know, uh, Every individual team owns uh, the trademark um, uh, for their team names and logo. They still have to get them licensed through MLB. In MLB trademarks, though, do you have any idea how many there are? I mean, uh, I don't, I'd, have, I'd have to think about how many. So each team has them. So we'll go with, I'm rounding it up because I'm, I'm kind of half guessing. We'll go with. 40 teams, 50 teams, 40. We'll go 40 teams. So we'll say trademarks. They have one trademark for their logo. They have another for their word. And they probably have the, there are some that are tied to the, the, the National Baseball Association. I'm going to go with 200. Wow. You know, you are, uh, there aren't 40 teams, are not 40 teams in baseball, but by golly, you're pretty darn close. 207. Uh, oh, I, I, I feel pretty good. So, with my yeah, yeah, no kidding. That's a, that's good <laughs> stuff. Uh, so that's not too bad. That's a good uh, swing and a hit right there, baby. Uh, so something interesting. So you've got some Ohio ties here. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar. The Cleveland, uh, formerly the Cleveland Indians announced they were changing their names to the Cleveland Guardians. Now, this mm-hmm. amazed me, and I've had several conversations with people like, well, didn't they know there was already a Cleveland Guardians um, professional or semi-professional team in Cleveland already? That was uh, a, uh, I think they're a roller derby. No, I haven't been to a roller derby uh, match in a long time. But, uh, yeah, and so this just recently was settled, but... If you were the attorney for, I don't know, on either side of that, maybe the more interesting would be if you were the attorney for the roller derby (laughs) Cleveland Guardians, and then all of a sudden here comes the Cleveland Indians. Now, I'm sure it was not a surprise that they, I can't imagine that they would have just said, hey, we're going to be the Guardians and not (laughs) reach out to these other Guardians. That just, I don't know, the whole thing just seemed crazy to me. I, I don't know if you're familiar with the story at all or. Yeah, I'm at least familiar with it. And I, 
I would have advised them to pick a different name. It's a short answer. I mean, unless you unless you had a good relationship and you already knew going into it that they were going to license it or you were otherwise not going to have any issues. If I were going into and saying there's another team that does in professional sports that are already have this name and already have the or build a brand, even if they're not as big as us, you and I'd tell them to go or go get another name. And if not, you better get ready to spend a lot of money and let's make sure we have the most money so we can go in and uh, spend the other or other uh, other team into the ground because otherwise it was just it was a, it wasn't a good idea. And I really don't know exactly how what how it led up. However, there was a great article in the uh, the New York Times about this um, or earlier in um, well the end of October, I guess it was. I'm I'm looking at it here, and it says uh, in the lawsuit the roller derby team said it was inconceivable that an organization worth more than a billion dollars and estimated to have annual revenues of 290 million would not have at least performed a Google search for Cleveland Guardians before settling on the name. And then their lead attorney, you would have loved this. And, uh, this is a quote from him said that the baseball team knowingly and willfully, this is a great word, eviscerated. That's such a great lawyer term, right? Eviscerated the rights of the original owner of that name, the real Cleveland Guardians. That's all good attorney posturing. Yeah, love that. No, I'm right there with you. I mean, I think that Either, either one of two things happen. The law firm just completely dropped the ball. So I'm sure they have a, a law firm on retainer and they just said, well, we're fine. We don't have to worry about it. Or the team has said, Hey, we don't care. We like the name. We're going to steamroll over them. Either way, not the best strategy, but apparently that's the one that they decided that they were going to take. Oh man. I don't know. So it has settled. So I think that just was announced maybe early this week or last week, but it has settled anyway. They came to terms. And uh, so now Cleveland guardians could officially, they changed the sign out um, in here uh, on the stadium just a, a few days ago. So anyway, I, I, the whole thing I thought was crazy, but uh, all right. Well, let's get back into it. Play ball, and here we go. Um, so uh, I want to ask you. So you were working with some larger firms, mm-hmm. and then you decided to go out on your own, um, and you were doing some. I, I'm assuming interesting lawyer stuff, working with Amazon and Ford uh, on some of their stuff in in these previous firms. Why did you make the switch? Why did you decide? You know, I like being an IP attorney, but I want to do it under my own shingle. Yeah, I mean, you're right. I mean, if I were just looking and say, hey, do I want to work with some big names? Everybody knows, you know, notoriety. Hey, I, I can go say I did work on the, you know, the Amazon, some of the products that are out here. Or I can go say, hey, I worked on some of the Intel chips or worked on some Ford and their things. Yeah, that, that you know, that has kind of that cachet and, you know, and it's a good career builder. Um, on the other hand, you know, I looked at it and kind of, it almost goes back to the discussion of when I was in college and saying, I love entrepreneurship and I love the law. And I was saying, when I got into far enough into my career, I was really saying, what are the types of clients or individuals I like to work with? And it really kind of, as I, you know, as, as I got far enough in the career and had some experience and I was kind of reflecting on that, a lot of it was saying, hey, I really love to work with the startups and the small businesses. It's not that there's cachet, nobody knows their name, but boy, are they fun to work with. They have some of the more fun ideas. 
And again, it almost goes back, you know, when I'm working with the Amazon, the Intel, they have a lot of patents. They have a lot of attorneys working on things. You're a small cog in a big wheel and you work on a very minute portion of a bit much bigger, you know, ecosystem of inventions. Whereas when you work on a startup and small business, it's it, this is they're shooting for the moon. They're going for it. It's just fun. You get to be a lot more impactful and have a lot more strategy. And so kind of as I was doing all that, I said, well, those are the clients that I want. Then the big law firm just isn't for me. They're not set up for that. That's not what they do. And so as I kind of came to that realization, that's when I said, okay, then I'm what if I'm going to go after those type of clients and it's not going to fill this, these type of law firms, why don't I just go do my own thing? Then I can set it up the way that I want to do it. And that was kind of the other overplay. So one, I wanted to choose my own client. Two, I wanted to just be able to do my own thing. I wanted to captain my ship and to pay. Hey, if I want to go try this new project, I want to try this new plan or this new idea. It may be a great idea. It might be a horrible idea. If I'm in a law firm, you get to do decision by committee, by committee, by committee. Whereas if I own the law firm, guess what? I can decide on something today and we start implementing it this afternoon. Yeah, yeah. And then now all of a sudden, boom, you're a small business, right? So now you think, <laughs> you know, not only are you practicing law and helping um, your clients, but you are also concerned, how do I grow my business? How do I attract clients? So, um you know, often I know I have this conversation with my daughter who says she wants to be an attorney. I'm like, well, you realize that uh, if you wanted to do your own practice, you really are running your own business. And what do you think of that? Are you interested in that at all? And uh, yeah, I, I, I'm, she's still contemplating that, I think. But um, so for you, what have been some of the challenges that you've had to face what have you done, I guess, uh, in regards to those challenges to overcome them? Yeah, I mean, I think with every startup and small business, there's the challenge you, you always are dealing with. That. I think it's or how many challenges are you dealing with at any given time, not whether or not you're dealing with the challenge, because you're always dealing with things now, varying degrees of, you know, where are, are the kind of challenges. But, you know, for me, it was one is, you know, how do you get a reputation and a brand and something up and going, which is, you know, on the front end, you know, there are other IP, I work for other IP firms. And so I had to figure out what my niche was. How was I going to separate myself? And that was everything from, Hey, we're going to niche down and do startups and small businesses. Most law firms, they like the big or big clients because they're notoriety. They have a lot of reoccurring billing and they're set up for it. And that's what they want to do. So I, you know, had to figure that that niche. And then I had to figure out, Hey, do I like the way other law firms do X, Y, and Z? Do I like law firm websites? One of my favorite pastimes is to go to law firm websites and find the ones that I think are the worst. And there's a lot of bad ones out there um, just because they <laughs> do not, they, they look pretty and they do nothing else other than look pretty. And so, you know, those type of things, it was really finding the niche. And so finding out how I'm going to separate myself within a a reasonably crowded marketplace in the sense there are a lot of law firms out there that do intellectual property. And so I think that was probably one of the struggles. And then as that kind of settled down, it was now, how do you grow? In other words, okay, I've got myself, I've got a paralegal. Now, hey, I can't do all everything. How do I bring someone else on? How do I bring two people on? How do I systematize where I knew how to do everything before and I had a, a certain quality standard? How do I make sure that quality standard goes through? So it's kind of that, how do I get established? How do I build something? And then how do I grow? And I think that's pretty or similar with most uh, companies as you get going and as you figure things out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good for you. Obviously you're, you're moving forward and uh, you're doing a lot of other things. 
evidently, and I'm not sure, I don't know, my research team didn't list what these are, but you've got other businesses as well that you're involved with uh, to one degree or another. I don't know. You want to talk about any of those? I don't even know what they are. They're just like three <laughs> businesses. So I'm like, okay, great. Hey. Yeah. And, and now you made the cardinal mistake of, you know, they always tell an attorney, don't ask a question you don't already know the answer to. Yes. So now you get it open wide open. Oh. So no, um, you know, one of the businesses I started was all the way back when I was doing my MBA and law degree at the same time. And it was, you know, the short version of it um, is a, it was a wearable for monitoring hydration. In other words, it was for athletes. It was for, um, you know, military uses that had, you know, several different uses across the board for elderly populations and others and started that. And that one's grown. It's still, they're still up and going today. Ended up doing a merger with another company that was in the diabetes monitoring uh, realm. A lot of the technology that we developed overlapped really well. So that's one of them. So Very wearable nice. Do diabetes. Do you have a patent monitoring. for that, for that technology? Uh, short answer. Oh, we have a, a lot of patents by okay. now. The very oh, first go. patent that I was <laughs> writing, I did, did it while I was still in law school. So as a law clerk, but I was doing it for my own invention um, was for that or for that company. So that was, a, I'd done other work, but the first awesome. patent I'd written from start to finish and done on my own was for that their business. And so, yeah, that one has a portfolio. I think it's a hundred or close to a hundred now of various different patents. Oh my gosh. Wow. You put yourself to work, right? You just hire, <laughs> hire yourself out. Uh, yeah, so that was one. Uh, another one, I've done a small religious products company. It's kind of just, it's not a huge company. It's just, you know, a few thousand dollars a year. Uh -huh. But the thing, I, it's, it's probably my favorite business, not because I make the most, but because I get to hire my kids in order to come work with me. Oh, so my son comes in a couple times a week. He's 11 years old. He goes, comes in, he has his own little tiny office. It's really a closet that we converted <laughs> into an office, but he gets to come, he gets to earn money, he gets to learn how to work and he gets to come in and see dad work. And so that one's another one that I've done. That's just a, a, been a fun one. Um, I've done a, or, and that one's still going. Another one that's still going is a product development company. It's called Mountain Green Engineering. Kind of coincides with we do a lot of the legal stuff, and we also help um, with product development as well. Um, so that's a different company. And then I've got a couple of companies that are going to be launching here in uh, in about three or four months. So wow. plenty of things to keep me busy, and I always like to always uh, my hobbies are startups. An incredible uh, hobby that you have, yeah, startup businesses. Uh, and I understand you have a podcast. I do. Yeah. So as if nothing, I didn't have enough going. I love to love to talk with startups and small businesses, however yeah. I can. So we have the inventive journey. We're actually expanding it to six podcasts. And so okay. that's a whole nother discussion, um, but it, it's kind of along the same or, or same journey, but just uh, kind of expanding it and hearing more about that journey, but it's the inventive journey podcast. Um, it is kind of following a, the inventors, startups, small businesses, how they got to where they're at today. So we kind of start, we go all the way back to high school or college and talk or capture the whole journey. We don't just let you jump to the third when, you know, you're the overnight success. You have to tell us how you're the overnight success, 20 years in the making, but we get a, it's a fun kind of walkthrough of all of their journey. And if you go to any of the, any of the podcast platforms and look for the inventive journey, that's another fun or fun thing that I, I love doing. All right. That sounds very fun. Uh, yeah. So, um, and I understand now this, my research team did pull this together. You're also a car guy and you've got, uh, I think one that I would love, which is a 79 Volkswagen bus. Is that right? Do you still have that? It is. Yeah. Yep. So I, I have two. So you hit on the one. 
So the first one I ever did was a muscle car. So when I was 15 and in high school, um, me and my dad restored a 67 Camaro. So that one's the one that, and I still have it in the garage. My wife tells me I should drive it more. I drive it when it's a nice day in the summer, but it's a fun car and it's, it's on the muscle car side. Then when I had the family and I had kids, I'm saying, well, muscle car is probably not a family vehicle, but I want to do something kind of as a fun vehicle that's memorable. So then we did the the Volkswagen bus, which is a 79. So one that, you know, kind of the similar to a lot of the ones, the iconic ones you see driving around in the back, the bench folds down into a bed so we can take it off and the kids can uh, sleep in it and whatnot. And it's just a fun, or fun vehicle. That's what I was wondering if it was one of the, the camper, because they had one that was just fully uh, decked out as a camper, the Volkswagen bus. That's the one that I would love to have. <laughs> so we didn't go quite to the camper. We made it so it's kind of in the middle to where it has a bed you can fold down, yeah. but it's also one that if you just want to take for a fun drive, you don't feel like you're at a kitchen. So we kind of uh, took the middle. Uh, super fun. All right. So you have so many different things kind of in the burner, uh, working and bubbling. You've got a lot of different businesses. What do you see though around the corner for Miller IP Law? Oh, you know, that's <laughs> all these questions seem that like should be easy. And then I, I'm like, well, there's a lot of these. So, no, I mean, <laughs> some of the things that we do, one of the things that has been exciting and fun recently is we've got it or we've we're always looking to help startups and small businesses. And so we've done um, DIY legal products. Now, I understand there's uh, legal zoom out there, which don't, if you want to get me on a tangent, you can ask me what I think of legal zoom, but they are a product that serves a niche. But we do something that's a lot better. So we've rolled out DIY legal products. We also focus a high degree on automations. We've actually went through one iteration of our automation systems. We're going through a second now. Before everybody gets into mind that this is the automation where you dial the customer service and you have to dial 20 different numbers to get to the wrong person to get transferred twice, I look at it as just the opposite, which is we are looking to automate things so that we can have greater customer service and greater touch points. So we're freeing up time so that you, when you give us an e- or shoot us an email, we email will be back within a very short amount of time. We return all your calls. We have texting. We have other systems so you can reach out to us. And so automation has been a huge thing for us. It's one thing that the legal industry is just really lagged behind and gives us an ability to scale, to compete and be a smaller size firm and yet have a much bigger impact. So automation, legal or DIY legal services. Um, We have a couple other things that we haven't rolled out yet. So I'll hold off and we'll have to circle back someday and chat about those. But yeah, I think that those are some of the fun things we're doing right now. Good stuff. All right. Well, you're a busy guy. Uh, Here we are, Devin. We're down to the bottom of the night's what advice do you have for rookies in the game? You know, all of these business guys who are thinking they want to start their own business or maybe they're in their business early stages. What kind of advice do you have for them? Yeah. So I would say buckle in and get ready. Now I'll expand on that slightly because you know, the, the analogy I always used to do, and then I stole someone else's analogy that I thought was better was the analogy you always hear is, you know, a, Startup or a small business is like a roller coaster, you know, it has the ups and the downs and, you know, kind of up and down and up and down. And that's what it's like. And then, you know, I usually use that, use that analogy. And then somebody else said, you know, it's not really like the roller coaster. It's like the whole theme park. You know, you get in the theme park, you get excited. You got something new. You're going to go in and have a great airtime. That's like starting the business. Then you get into the, the theme park and, you, you know, you go on that first ride and it's fun and exhilarating and you get bumped around a little bit. And then you go on a second ride and then you get sick and you have to take a break and you have to slow down. You have to re-engage. And then you go on the bumper cards and get banged around a whole bunch. And then you go have some food that, you know, re- reinvigorates you. And then you go, or go to the end of the day 
And that was, to me, it was always just like, yeah, that is true. It's much more like the whole theme park. You know, you got roller coasters, you got bumper cars, you get sick, you have the highs, it's fun, exhilarating, and all those in between. And so with that, I would say, you know, buckle up. It's going to be like a theme park. It's going to be a lot of fun times. It's going to be a lot of hard times. But I think that if you can go in with that anticipation, it's going to be hard. It's going to be like a theme park. I might as well be prepared and ready. That's about as good a preparation as you can go into with the startup. Because everything else you're just going to have to figure out along the way. I love that analogy, like a theme park. <laughs> yes, absolutely. It's more than just a roller coaster. It's everything. And the kind exactly. of candy vendor even, right? All of the fun, warm, and yummy. Uh, that's great. Listen, Devin, thank you so much for being on the show. It's been a lot of fun getting to know you and uh, hearing about all of the crazy things you're involved with. My gosh, I don't even know how you had time to have kids, let alone sleep or anything else, but uh, you're a busy guy. So I appreciate the time today. Absolutely. I had a blast. It was fun to be on and appreciate you having me. All right. All right. Well, folks, that's the ball game. So thanks for joining us today. And if you liked our show, please tell your friends, subscribe and review, and we'll see you around the ballpark. Running the Bases with Small Businesses is brought to you by 38 Digital Market, a digital marketing agency committed to client growth with lead generation, higher conversions, and increased sales. Connect with us today at 38digitalmarket.com.